Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Murder Mile, a true crime podcast, an audio-guided walk featuring many of London's untold, unsolved and long-forgotten murders, all set within London's West End. Today's episode is about Ben and Freya Peterson, the last two victims of the Hyde Park bombing. And yet their faces don't appear in any photos, their names aren't etched on the memorial plaque, and although they died 30 years after this terrorist attack, their deaths are no less tragic. Murder Mile is researched using original and authentic sources. It contains moments of satire, shock and grisly details. And as a dramatization of the real events, it may also feature loud and realistic sounds, so that, no matter where you listen to this podcast, you'll feel like you're actually there. My name is Michael, I am your tour guide, and this is Murder Mile. Episode 64, Ben and Freya Peterson, the last victims of the Hyde Park bombing. Today, I'm standing on South Carriage Drive in Hyde Park, W2. A short walk south of Maison Lyonnaise, where Evelyn Hamilton met the Blackout Ripper, a brisk dawdle east of the Milk Bar, where Rita Nelson met Reg Christie. A quick canter from the Tyburn Tree, London's infamous execution site. And a short dawdle from the ice disaster on the Serpentine. Coming soon to Murder Mile. Situated west of Mayfair, and bookended by Bayswater and Kensington, Hyde Park is the largest of London's four royal parks. Established in 1536, when fat-bloated wife-shortener Henry VIII nabbed 350 acres of the church's land to turn a deer reserve into a shooting gallery, Hyde Park is a public park, open to everyone for everything, from concerts to protests, sports to picnics, fairs to free speech. Hyde Park is a real blessing in a smoggy metropolis like London, as although it's circled by belching buses, honking horns, and speed-crazy psychopaths on scooters racing to get a hot cup of coffee to some arsehole with an app, 
too lazy to get it themselves in a city where there's a Costa and a Starbucks every 10 feet. Being full of grass, trees, birds and a lake, Hyde Park is literally a breath of fresh air. Of course, its tranquility is often sullied by half-wits in hammocks, joggers squatting with sweaty bum cracks, utter twats playing tinny tunes on iPhones, bag-handed bastards picking up their dog plop only to hang it from a tree like it's a freaking Christmas treat, also known as the shit Santa. And of course, there's babies. Really, what is the point to them? All they do is cry and crap. Ugh. Skirting the south side of Hyde Park, South Carriage Drive is a two-lane street between Exhibition Road and Hyde Park. Lined with trees, a horse track and Hyde Park barracks, it's always quiet, as cars cannot stop or park here, and for good reason. And although a memorial commemorates the dead, with very few people knowing their story, there is no plaque for Ben and Freya Peterson. As it was here, on Tuesday the 20th of July 1982, that one of Britain's worst mainland bombings took place. And yet 30 years later, Hyde Park would claim its last two victims. Nineteen eighty-two was a bad year. Being at the tail end of a recession, with three million people unemployed, inflation high, wages low, and crime soaring, as Margaret Thatcher entered her fourth year as British Prime Minister, Britain was at war with Argentina, and the nineteen seventy-nine ceasefire with the Provisional Irish Republican Army had collapsed seeing itself as a successor to the original IRA, who sought to end British rule in Northern Ireland. The provisional IRA was the most active Republican paramilitary group of the conflict, killing more than 1,800 people in its 30-year campaign. In the two years since the ceasefire collapsed, in London alone, the IRA detonated seven bombs, injuring 65 people and killing 12. On the 2nd of December 1980, five people died at a Territorial Army recruitment centre in Kensington. 8th of January 1981, 50 musicians escaped an explosion at RAF Uxbridge. 17th of October 1981, Lieutenant General Sir Stuart Pringle lost a leg when a booby-trapped bomb blew up under his car. 26th of October 1981, Kenneth Howarth was killed when he tried to defuse a bomb left in a wimpy bar on Oxford Street. And on the 23rd of November 1981, a soldier's wife and her friend were injured when a bomb, disguised as a toy gun, exploded outside the Royal Artillery Barracks, next to a school for the army's children. In a campaign which was both targeted and random, sometimes the IRA gave warnings, sometimes they didn't. Sometimes a blast was just a distraction to cause the panicked people to run in the direction of a bigger bomb. And with devices left in bags, on buses, or in bins near busy shopping districts, their victims were both servicemen and civilians, whether men, women, or children.
and the next bomb was no exception. On Saturday the 10th of October 1981, at 12pm, as a small white coach carrying 23 soldiers turned onto St Barnabas Street, the bomb exploded. Hidden in a parked laundry van, detonated by remote, packed full of 8 kilos of highly explosive gelignite and being padded with bags of 4-inch nails, although the blast was strong enough to eviscerate the van, as the bus wasn't close enough, the initial explosion missed its target. But as the blast wave turned these harmless steel nails into thousands of high-speed projectiles, which could penetrate metal, wood, bone and skin, 40 people were injured, 8 seriously, and 2 were killed. 59-year-old Nora Field and 18-year-old John Breslin, two innocent civilians who happened to be passing. And yet, little would the British security services know that the bombing at the Chelsea barracks was just a dress rehearsal for the true horror that was still to come at Hyde Park. In a plain, red-bricked, but oddly-shaped six-storey building sat alone on South Carriage Drive, with ten-foot-high walls, a thick reinforced gate, and a large Union Jack flag proudly flying. Although it looked like a tacky 1980s hotel, with a faint whiff of dung, a discreet whinny of horses, and a large military insignia, this is the garrison of the Household Cavalry Mounted Regiment, the Queen's official bodyguards. Comprised of the British Army's two most senior regiments, the Lifeguards and the Blues and Royals, the Household Cavalry performs the changing of the guard, a ceremonial tradition dating back 360 years. And on alternate days, with the Lifeguards in red tunics, gold plumes and gold body armour, and the Blues and Royals in dark blue tunics, red plumes and silver body armour, they ride with absolute precision on neat and unfazed horses. From Hyde Park Barracks, down South Carriage Drive and Constitution Hill, changing at Buckingham Palace and Horse Guards Parade. As a consummate soldier, who was fastidiously neat, precise and professional, for a 21-year-old Michael Peterson, being a sergeant in the Blues and Royals was an honour. Up early, to black his boots, starch his creases and polish his body armour to a mirror shine, with his face clean-shaven and his brown hair neatly trimmed to military regulation, Michael took pride in his duties. Trained to tackle the unexpected in an unemotional way, showing no weakness or fear, although he had a fun and gregarious side, Michael was the perfect soldier. He was smart, loyal and serious about every detail in his life, as in his eyes everything had to be perfect and that included his horse. Bred as a cross between an Irish draft mare and a thoroughbred stallion, with silky black hair, a broad powerful body, and standing 16 hands tall, Sefton was an impressive sight. Unlike Michael, Sefton had already served in the British Army for 15 years. But just like Michael, although strong, sturdy and unshakable, off-duty, he had a temperamental side, with Sefton disobeying orders and breaking rank, 
Henzi was given the nickname Sharky, as to those he didn't like, he would bite. At exactly 10.30am on Tuesday the 20th of July 1982, as the double gates of Hyde Park Barracks opened, in two-by-two formation, the Blues and Royals trotted out and turned right onto South Carriage Drive. Being mid-morning, the street was quiet, the park was empty and the traffic was light. So except for a handful of tourists and a few parked cars, the road was silent. As per usual, the route was routine, and as the troop passed a low depression in the road, rising up towards Hyde Park Corner, everything seemed ordinary. From the clip-clop of the horse's hooves, to the faint rustle of the summer leaves, to the distant click of cameras, as a small, excitable crowd gathered, unaware that they were trotting into a trap. On the night prior, the provisional IRA had stolen a plain-looking car, which by the morning had yet to be reported missing. Parking it up on South Carriage Drive, and having fed the meter with new 20 pence pieces, the rather ordinary blue Austin Morris Marina blended in with the other parked-up minis and VWs. The horses and riders thought nothing of it as they passed the little blue car. But hidden inside its boot was a remote detonator, 11 kilos of gelignite, and 14 kilos of 4-inch steel nails. At 10.40am, the nail bomb exploded. The flash was an intense yellow, burning bright but fading fast. As with the bulk of the blast insulated by its metal boot, the explosives tossed the Austin Marina into the air, flipping it onto the car behind, a ragged tangled mess of twisted smoking metal. With ears ringing, an eerie silence descended as the disorientated spectators stirred, their world enveloped by a cacophony of sounds as the blast wave smashed windows streets away, sirens wailed and horses whinnied as slowly began the screams. Thick with black caustic smoke, as the stench of chemicals and burning drifted from the fiery wreckage, although they could hear the fear, no one could see what had happened, as the street was shielded in a cloud of acrid dust and smoking debris. But as a light wind blew, the dark clouds parted. Both lanes of South Carriage Drive were a sea of blood. As side by side, soldiers and stallions lay dead or dying. The dull grey road littered with black shapeless lumps as injured horses oozed red slicks. And underneath these crippled beasts, with shiny armour oddly glinting, their bloodied riders lay trapped. As before, it wasn't the explosives which killed or injured, but with 80 nails per bag, the blast wave turned 14 transparent bags of harmless pins into 900 lethal steel projectiles, which whizzed through the air like thin silver bullets, piercing skin, shredding muscle, and embedding in bone. As a strong and sturdy horse, 
Sergeant Peterson later stated that Sefton acted so professionally that even as the bomb exploded, he as the rider wasn't thrown. And although Sefton bled profusely, with four-inch nails having ruptured its left eye, jugular vein, and embedded in 34 parts of its body, the injured horse galloped to the barracks, taking its rider to safety. Sergeant Peterson was miraculously unharmed. The blast and shrapnel shielded by his horse, and his vital organs protected by his body armour. But having witnessed a sight of absolute horror, being too traumatised to even talk, Sergeant Peterson remained in a severe shock. The nail bomb injured all 16 of the horses. Nine along with Sefton were wounded. But with seven being so badly maimed, they would never have survived. Under several dark tarpaulins, the regiment's vet ended their suffering. They were Cedric, Epaulette, Falcon, Rochester, Waterford, Yeastvit, and Zara. 22 people were admitted to hospital. 18 soldiers, one policeman, and three civilians. One of whom was a mother and her baby. And although the standard bearer of the Blues and Royals fought on, three days later, he died of his wounds and became the fourth human casualty of the Hyde Park bombing. Those we lost were Corporal Major Roy Bright, Lieutenant Anthony Daly, Trooper Simon Tipper and Lance Corporal Geoffrey Young. Two hours later, at 12.55pm, two miles north in Regent's Park, as 30 members of the Royal Green Jackets performed hits from the musical Oliver, a second bomb exploded, injuring eight and killing seven. The events of Tuesday the 20th of July 1982 brought a country to a standstill. And although many servicemen survived, still living in an era of the British stiff upper lip, where a trained soldier never shows fear, and real men supposedly never show weakness, the worst injuries weren't always physical or even visible. As the beloved children of Sergeant Peterson, thankfully Ben and Freya weren't there that day. As being barely a young unmarried man himself, they wouldn't be born for at least another two decades. But the horror of the Hyde Park bombing even 30 years later, would affect their lives forever. With every newspaper carrying the same photo, the sight of seven dead horses strewn across a London street sparked a furious fire under the British people. And with Margaret Thatcher condemning their actions as callous and cowardly crimes committed by evil, brutal men who know nothing of democracy, although Irish Americans had openly supported the IRA, the bombing had backfired, and their US funding began to cease. That day, given only a 50-50 chance of survival, Sefton underwent an eight-hour operation to save its life. And being a strong-willed, stubborn horse, as donations flooded in, against the odds, Sefton survived. And as an act of defiance, against these cowardly terrorists who had hidden the shadows, detonated bombs from a distance, 
and indiscriminately killed and injured men, women and children. The next day, the household cavalry performed the changing of the guard, passing the same spot where their comrades had fallen. To this day, a memorial stands, and as they pass, they honour it with eyes left and swords drawn. A few months later, both Sergeant Peterson and Sefton returned to the High Park barracks and back to active service. As although they were physically and mentally scarred, they were both soldiers. As a symbol of courage, triumph and British pluck, having won the British people's hearts, alongside his rider, Sefton was awarded the prestigious title of Horse of the Year, and they both became national celebrities, receiving standing ovations wherever they went. After two more years of service, in August 1984, Sefton retired. But owing to an incurable lameness in his legs, caused by his injuries, on the 9th of July 1993, aged 30, Sefton was put to sleep. He was buried with military honours, and a life-size statue of Sefton was unveiled at the Royal Veterinary College, with a medical wing in his name. Sefton lived like a soldier, died like a fighter, was treated like a hero, and was buried with honours. But serious injuries aren't always obvious, and although physically Michael Peterson had survived, mentally he was battle-scarred and bleeding, but he wasn't the last casualty of the Hyde Park bombing. One year later, Michael married his girlfriend Susan Day, and they had two babies together. As a doting father, described as a lovely man who would help anyone out if they had a problem, after 21 years with the British Army, he completed his full military service and retired in 2001. After nearly quarter of a century of strict rules, bellowed orders and starched shirts, life outside of the army was difficult to adjust to. The world was too sloppy and disorganised for a neat, precise man who liked things done his way or not at all. And sadly that year, his marriage to Susan ended in divorce. Taught to bottle his feelings, hide his anxiety and disguise his depression, Battling endless nightmares and survivor's guilt, in a rare moment of vulnerability, Michael admitted to his doctor that he thought he was suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. But being too proud, he didn't get help. In 2002, Michael married his second wife, Erica. He retrained as a lorry driver. Together they ran a successful haulage company called High Road Logistics and having moved into a lovely red-bricked cottage in Ashford, Kent, the couple had two lovely children, who they named Ben and Freya. Life was good, or so it seemed. Seen by neighbours as a gentle giant, who loved his kids and wouldn't do anything to harm them, although seven-year-old Ben and six-year-old Freya seemed neat, happy and polite, Michael could be very controlling, overbearing and a bully and being jealous of his wife the marriage was rocky the end began so innocently 
On Saturday, the 25th of August, 2012, Michael and Erica Peterson were invited to an army reunion. Having both had one too many drinks, Michael saw Erica briefly being kissed by another man. The couple argued, they fought, and allegedly being pushed, Erica sustained a broken arm and shoulder. A few days later, Michael posted on Facebook, The worst day of my life. Sadly, I've split with Erica. I'm absolutely distraught. But the marriage was over. The assault was one step too far. And as Erica began divorce proceedings, Michael was served with an injunction banning him from the family home. His very precise and regimented life was falling apart. And for the first time, he had no control. On Sunday the 30th of September 2012, as part of a pre-arranged visit by his soon-to-be ex-wife, Michael took Ben and Freya to visit their grandfather in Andover, Hampshire. They had lunch, they played, they paddled in the lake, and as promised, he would drop them back to the family home by 5pm. By 7pm, with her calls going unanswered, no sign of Michael or the kids, her house having been ransacked, and two chef's knives missing from the kitchen. Erica called the police, but it was too late. At 6.15pm, in the nearby village of Newton Stacy, a local dog walker strolled down a secluded country lane. Seeing a blue Saab 900 convertible parked up and blocking the bridleway, with the engine off, the lights out and no one inside, as the dog walker skirted down the sides. At the back, by the boot, they found Ben, Freya and Michael. As much as he loved his children, he could never be apart from them. And with no traces of drugs or alcohol in his system, Michael had inflicted his final act of control against his wife. The attack was frenzied, violent and terrifying. As having been treated to a last day out, the two tiny children stood, their tears ignored, their screams unheard. As wielding two large silver knives, a six-foot soldier stabbed them one by one. Only this wasn't a crazed stranger. This was their daddy. Struggling to fight off their attacker, both children sustained deep slashes to their arms and hands. But being no match for a man five times their size, seven-year-old Ben was stabbed six times in the chest, the eight-inch blade left sticking out and bolt upright. With a second knife, he stabbed six-year-old Freya in the heart, severing a major artery which bled down her pretty pink top and leggings. And as both of his babies lay dead, Michael Peterson plunged the knife three times into his own chest. Hundreds of mourners turned out for the service at St. Saviour's Church. With the pews lined with pink and blue balloons, a sermon by the vicar who had baptised them both, a reading from Freya's favourite book, The Gruffalo, and the hall ringing to the tune of The Circle of Life, a song from the Disney's Lion King, 
On a large screen beam the smiling faces of Ben and Freya, a big brother and his baby sister, hugging during happier times, with Ben dressed as a racing driver and Freya as a little fairy. At the inquest, the coroner recorded a verdict of death by suicide and two counts of unlawful killing. Being born almost a quarter of a century after the 1982 bombing, which had traumatised their father, it's still uncertain today whether Michael's actions were a consequence of those events, or his need for precision and control. Unable to cope in an undisciplined world, away from the British Army. Many people died that day in Hyde Park and Regent's Park. Many were injured, both servicemen and civilians, humans and equine. And up until the 1997 ceasefire, which still holds today, in a bloody feud between the British government and the provisional IRA, many more fatalities were to come. But the aftermath of such horrifying atrocities stretches beyond the incident itself affecting friends and family far and wide. And although some injuries aren't always visible, unless help is sought to deal with the mental and emotional scars which linger underneath, other innocents may be hurt. And although they didn't die that day on South Carriage Drive, perhaps four more names should be added to the memorial. Michael, Erica, Ben and Freya the last victims of the Hyde Park bombing. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to Murder Mile. As per usual, if you're a murky miler, stay tuned for more extra waffle after the break. But before that, here's my recommended podcasts of the week, which are All Crime No Cattle and Simply Strange. Hi, true crime fans. I'm Erin. And I'm Shay. We host All Crime No Cattle, a conversational podcast which focuses on true crime stories from the Lone Star State. We strive to bring you a balanced and well-researched story about Texas cases big and small. We do the research so you don't have to. We also end every episode with a good news story, just to remind everyone that real life isn't quite as depressing as true crime can make it out to be. New episodes drop every Thursday, and you can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. All crime, no cattle, because crime is bigger in Texas, y'all. My name is PJ, and I host a show called Simply Strange. From cold cases to aliens... Cryptids to ghost stories, every episode of Simply Strange is a storytelling experience that will take you on a journey through some of our world's darkest mysteries, putting you in the shoes of those who experienced them, while also attempting to uncover the truth behind the madness. So if you love thought-provoking stories that will disturb you to your core, and maybe make you check the closet before you turn the lights out, then I would like to cordially invite you to come check out Simply Strange at simplystrangepodcast.com or just search Simply Strange wherever you listen to your podcasts, if you feel like it. A huge thank you goes out to my new Patreon supporters, who are Vivian, Meta Kongstead, and True Crime Nana. 
who get a regular dose of crime scene photos, videos, a weekly ebook, and shall become lucky recipients of some rather delightful Murder Mile goodies. Only available via Patreon. Sorry! A special thank you this week to Christine from Johnny and Eric of Cult With No Name, the geniuses who do most of the music for Murder Mile, as Christine came to see Cult With No Name play when they were at Farncombe. Christine, I'm glad you enjoyed them. They're really great, aren't they? A comment which was backed up by Philip Grundy, who, like myself, is hooked on their music, and rightly so. This week, I wanted to draw your attention to a new true crime book, which has hit our bookshops both online and in real life. Wow! It's a collection of fascinating and previously unheard true crime tales from Ben and Rosie of the fabulous They Walk Among Us podcast. If you love this podcast, and you should because it's amazing, here they bring you 10 new and previously untold true crime tales, which, like the podcast, are intricately researched and expertly told in a thrilling, emotional and unbiased way. There's a reason why this is one of the best true crime podcasts out there. And now they have a book. I've read it, I loved it, and I devoured it in two days. It's a cracking read and a must for all true crime fans, and even better for short-sighted people like myself. (laughs) The text is actually in a decent size. But if reading isn't your thing, you can also get an audio version, as read by Benjamin. If you fancy treating yourself, I've popped a handy link in the show notes. Murder Mile was researched, written and performed by myself, with the main musical themes written and performed by Eric Stein and John Boops of Cult With No Name. Thank you for listening, and sleep well. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Okay.
That's that done. Good. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Extra Mile. Uh, it's me here. You know who I am. I don't need to in- introduce myself, do I? If I need to introduce myself at this point, it's kind of weird, isn't it? Because you've just listened to me for... That will probably be about half an hour, wouldn't it? And now you'd be going, who is this man? It's me. It's me. It's Michael. Hello. Or Mike. I prefer Mike. I prefer Mike. I don't know why on this podcast I always call myself Michael. I hate being called Michael. Michael always feels like I'm in trouble. And I rarely, I don't really let variations. I, I've My mate Rushdie, I let him call me Mick. He's one of the few people I let, let call me Mick. Uh, my brother's family, I let them call me Mickey. I haven't got a problem with that. Uh, rarely, I hate being called Michael. And yet, on the tour and on the podcast... I call myself Michael. I don't know. Maybe it's just to seem more professional. I don't know. But why does that make a difference between Mike and Michael? It's weird, isn't it? Why am I doing that? Anyway, this is Extra Mile. Hey, folks. So I'm just going to see how long I've been doing. Right. Okay. This is Extra Mile. Uh, For those who don't know, this is the extra bits. Afterwards, I'll give you some more insight into this story itself. We'll have a little bit of a waffle as well. I will go off and open my my curtains. There's a tiny spider inside one of my curtains. I'm going to let him be. He's tiny, he's no harm to me. I'm just going to let him do what he needs to do. Uh, opening all the curtains, familiar sound, opening the back doors. There's four four locks on the door, top and bottom. Two at the top, two at the bottom. So I have to, there we go. I didn't actually end up locking them all. And that's the doors to the front of the boat. So now I can see out the front where I'm going to get some new covers very shortly. That will be very nice. That's on Tuesday this week. So the next episode you hear. I will have new covers on the boat, which is very exciting. Cost me a lot of money, but it's got to be done. Now I do my usual thing of uh, making a cuppa. This is me filling the kettle with a cup's worth of water from a water bottle. As I think I said, mentioned last time, I always like to keep my water pump off, just in case I'm awake. Because the last thing you want is the boat to flood. It does happen. If you have 400 litres of water in your tank, and then you, uh, where's my, my cups here? I was going to say pass me my cup then, but you can't pass me my cup. Uh, if you have like uh, 400 litres of water, it, c- it could do a lot of damage to the boat. You know, you could. So uh, I deliberately uh, make sure it's off. Why? Because I'm paranoid. Tea in there, a bit of sugar. Got cube sh- sugar today. Cube sugar. And yes, powdered milk. And because I've run out of biscuits, because I've run out of cake, because I've eaten all the cake, uh, I've got... All butter shortbread fingers. Mm. Made in Scotland. Baked to a tradis- traditional recipe for a buttery crumble. Mm. One finger is 5% of your daily intake of fat and 93 calories. God, they, do they know that I'm going to eat all of them? I'm going to eat every single one of those buggers. Oh dear. Right, good. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Uh, a little bit different that one. Uh, I think that's what I do is when I go through the list of what what we're doing episode wise. I always try and make sure that they're always different. I always try and make sure that you don't have like next week. There's not the same thing that's happening because there's nothing worse. Also, also I try to make sure you know if you don't have a stabbing this week, then a stabbing next week. Or it's kind of I try and make it look very different. I try and get the ears different. I try and get the victims different. Uh, motivations so you know I, I often swap them around I always do a list for myself of what the episode's going to be in advance and then sometimes I, I when I've done an episode I think to myself hmm next week's episode has a do you know there might be a similarity to it and I might say to myself let's drop that back a bit but this was one of those episodes where 
Uh, I don't know whether I mentioned this last week. Maybe I did. I was kind of... I'd always wanted to do something on the Hyde Park and Regent's Park bombings. Do you know, they're both within the West End and they're, they're perfect for, for me to do. And I just didn't know how to do them because, you know, it's, 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 it's important to get the emotional story in there. But... Um, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of different people, and there's a lot. And you know, do you tell the terrorist story, or do you focus on one victim, or do you tell all the victims, or do you know? Um, and I, I've been putting this off for a long time because I just didn't know how to tell the story. And then, as I was researching it, I was, I was like, ah, oh, I found out the story about Michael Peterson and his children Ben and Freya and his wife Erica, and I was like, that's it. That's the story. Uh, but it, here, what I did was. I did it slightly different where I deliberately made this kind of a third act. So uh, as with a lot of people, you know, a lot of people know a lot about the, the Hyde Park bombing and the Regent's Park bombing, but this is something that most people won't know. So that's why I've deliberately done it a kind of a, an intro at the start, introducing you to the politics and the tactics of the IRA. And then after you focus on the bombing and you focus on uh, Michael Peterson and his horse Sefton, which I think makes a nice, nice story, a bit of a juxtaposition and about how, how they were injured both mentally and physically but they survived and they became like big heroes and things like that and then then you have the other side of the story which most people don't know about i didn't know about this story at all uh, it was only whilst going through the archives not the national archives because i couldn't get you can't get access to this original file tease up but um it was uh when I found out about it, it was basically just newspapers, really, I had to use for this one, because there's very little out there, there really is. It's weird, there's a, there's a hell of a lot of information about Sefton, the horse. Like, I can find out loads about Sefton, but learn, trying to learn stuff about Michael Peterson's life is just all you know about him, really, is his death. And the same with the kids as well. Luckily, luckily there was quite a few... Um, this is a blessing sometimes, even though I do criticise... Uh, newspapers uh, only because they're, they're distant if you think about it like a journalist during the day has three probably three articles that they need to write that they have to get in by four o'clock and what are they going to do if they get three news stories are they going to travel from let's say Wapping to Notting Hill to interview someone or are they just going to sit on their ass read the AP wire report check Twitter for any other information about these people and then write it themselves they're not going to do it whereas the good thing is there are some small local papers that I found in the area where um, uh, Michael and Erica and Ben and Freya kind of lived, uh, and those local pa papers were really good because they, you know, they got time. They're, they're not. This is a big news story for them. They got a chance. They knew the people. They got a chance to go out there, talk to the relatives. So I, I got a lot of information from from you know people who were actual real neighbours. So those sometimes those small newspapers are really really useful and they're. You know, you got you get a lot more personal information, so so they're really good. It's just that the big tabloids are a real problem. Uh, so anyway, I'm ahead of myself. Where am I? Uh, where am I? Where really? Where am I? Uh, I'm heading north at the moment. We're still on the boat. Uh, it, it has been piercing it down for about three or four days, solid. Uh, I think they said that on Monday we had uh, a month's rainfall in a day and you could tell it was so i uh, i'm on the the canal at the moment there's normally on the bit i'm on it's normally kind of the step up to get onto the canal onto the towpath is a i said towpath that sounded really posh maybe I've, maybe i'm turning into a posh person uh the towpath um to to get up to it it's about two foot but now it's even with the boat so the water has risen about to, uh, i think just over two foot 
So it's quite high, but I think it's dropping at the moment and my boat might be stuck on something. Oh, I'm going to check in a bit. Uh, but this can be quite a, a weird thing for, for boats. So if, like me, you live on a boat, it's not a problem. You you kind of slacken your ropes uh, and to make sure that you, the kind of the boat moves with the water it's kind of an important thing to do not to have them too tight whereas you get quite a few people who we call boat dumpers uh or people who have cruiser boats and that means that the, the back of their boat is slightly open and that's where the engine is and the problem is you get water my boat there's nowhere for the water to go to Every, everything's covered over uh, and it has vents but if you have a cruiser boat which is where the engine is uh there's like a like a little back decking area underneath your is your engine uh, the rainwater can go into there, fill up the engine bay, and then your boat can start to sink. So uh, over this week just gone, there's been a lot of boats already who have sunk. A, because they're probably ship boats, but B, because they're cruisers, and the owners haven't come back. They've just been like, oh, I'm too busy at my girlfriend's house watching Game of Thrones. And then they come back, go, where's my boat sunk? So, uh, but it's nice. I love the rain. Uh, it's quite nice at night you can sit there because cause it's a steel roof when it's raining even with light rain you can hear it kind of kind of pitter pattering it's really nice it's very relaxing to go to sleep to um update i can't remember which episode i recorded here last time i've recorded a few here before uh but i think last time i was here i may have mentioned that there were some lovely white geese with orange beaks uh and they, there's like a, a family of five of them that go up and down uh sadly no longer five there's now three uh there's a big sign on the lock there's a lock next to me and a big big sign on it saying don't let the geese down through the lock uh because there's swans down there and the swans are very aggressive and they, they will kill the um the geese unfortunately one got killed uh and one is it, there's a sign that says one has one has been blinded but it looks like that one passed away as well so sad news sad news no no coots here though no coots i know oh well oh well, no there was some uh, some uh what are they called um uh egyptian geese they're kind of the nice sandy colored ones and they're, they're uh a family of them down there they got they got five little baby egyptian geese and they're really sweet anyway that's kind of your, your coot update bit um merch update i know shameless advertising uh, just to let you know, I've uh, updated the merch shop a little bit on the on the uh, website. So now you can get all of the Blackout Ripper scripts all in one ebook, which is very nice. Uh, I've just got a, a load of mugs come in. Uh, no sweets. I've stopped doing the, the mugs with sweets because they're a nightmare. And also, as I mentioned last time, it puts it over the, the weight bracket. So you end up paying, if you're in America, you end up paying £2 more because I've put in the equivalent of like, one pound's worth of sweets so it, it doesn't make sense i've stopped putting sweets in it now because it keeps it under half a kilo and therefore you're paying less money um which is all good you can buy sweets online that's fine uh so we've got loads of new mugs got badges got murky miler badges uh, you can get tickets to murder mile you can book them as tickets to uh, any tour that's every sunday at 11 o'clock you can book private tours you can book it as vouchers so for anyone you think might like murder mile you can go oh i'll buy you a gift voucher gift vouchers uh they stay valid for about a year uh and if you want t-shirts underneath there on the merch page there's a little link for if you want to design t-shirts or bags with a murder mile logo you can design whatever you like it's it's quite good it's the logo's up there you just decide whatever you want and uh, some people have and that's that's really brilliant um 
Just a quick thank you to Sue, Sue Elliott and Andy. Uh, I went to my P.O. box in town uh, and opened it up and there was the usual shit from the tax man and other such assholes. Uh, but thankfully, uh, very kind of them, Sue and Andy had sent me some lovely emergency rations to keep me going. Uh, and there were just loads and loads of goodies full of uh, marzipan and franzipan, all the things I love. So uh, uh, thank you so much to Sue and Andy. Uh, yum, uh, they've all gone. Uh, yes, they've all disappeared. I know. I know you'll be listening to this in about two weeks' time or whatever. But this is, this is like, this is like five or six days after I received the the parcel. It's all gone. All of it. All of it. Every single thing. Yum yum yum. Uh, thought it'd give you a series update. Don't worry. This is not a bad series update. This is not me going. Oh God, I can't cope. Um, as you know, what I'm trying to, trying to do is not burn myself out like last time. I've learnt my lessons about being uh, the threat of being sued as well. Uh, spoke to uh, a good friend during the week, is a um, producer of documentaries. Sat down with him, really good bloke. I've known him for years, and he was very helpful in kind of giving me advice, saying, "You know, your research is good." But also, it's almost impossible to sue someone. Uh, and also, there was... Ah, uh, what was your name? Uh, it wasn't Vicky, was it? What was your name? You were with Kit. We were on the tour last week. I don't think you actually listened to the podcast anyway. But I know that Kit, Kitran does. Uh, your friend who was with you was very useful. Is she a lawyer? I'm not too sure. But she was saying about how, how difficult it is to actually sue someone and that you've got to prove loss as well, which is an, a very difficult thing to do, which was really useful. So that, you know, that's t- helped take the fear away from me it doesn't mean that i can uh start calling people assholes which i'd never do i'm very i I always deliberately write and research these in a very compassionate way and i i treat everyone with respect and if someone is a killer i try and use as much of their original statements as possible uh and i know that sometimes families do come forward as i've mentioned before like some families have come forward and said this is amazing you did a great job it was very detailed it's nice to hear it done in in a very sensitive but a very articulate and detailed way sometimes families come forward and go you are a big fat liar who the fuck do you think you are but what i've realized over time is that because i have access to the files i know more than they do they do families do not have access to police files and rightfully so because they would just tear it up they would rip it up because it's things that they don't want to know about their family so uh, i'm conscious of that therefore i write it in a very sensitive way but as you know so i'm trying not to burn myself out with doing too many episodes these these episodes still are taking about six to seven days a week to do and that's weekly and it's it's still tiring but what i'm trying to do is space it try and make it not too so there's not too many and keep myself ahead of the schedule as well uh, i'm trying to keep myself up i think i'm about a week ahead at the moment i'd like to be two weeks ahead uh because as you know you know both my mum and my gran have dementia uh uh mum's in birmingham grand's in scotland i'm grand's carer uh they're both very very they're both old and on the decline uh so I, i'm trying to make myself available i guess go and see them but i try and make myself available when things crop up and things do crop up uh but what i want to do is make sure that you know there's not a gap in murder mile uh or that I come back to it and I go, oh shit, oh I'm behind. I, I don't want to start panicking myself about getting an episode out. And I know that you, you guys will be fine with that if there's no episode. But so, what I'm trying to do is keep a consistency with Murder Mile, but without putting myself under too much pressure to kind of force out episodes. Also, if I force them out, that lowers the quality. So, uh, to Murder uh, Mini Mile, 
will be coming back very soon i really enjoyed doing those those were the kind of the fun sketchy versions more the factual end they're very good uh danielle has very uh kindly agreed to help me with some of the research for that so that's really good so i've got a little bit of help there which is great uh and i will be i think i'm going to do like another three or four episodes of of mini mile and then because i've got a week up at my grand's or not a week but a good couple of days where i've got to sort some stuff out i'm going to put out an episode but i'm going to try something different for that week i think um what i'm going to do is uh a kind of a walk through soho so i've got my new recorder my new posh recorder that i was going to use to record the other shows that i was planning earlier on they're, they're not going to happen anymore but this is kind of an idea that i was toying with um so what it'll be is i'll do a walk through soho just a casual walk uh and as we pass locations, because there's loads, like I might just pick one street and I'll just focus on one street and just tell you all the stories that I can see on that street and explain the stories to you. Um, and that will be kind of more like Murder Mile was meant to be at the start. When I, when I first did uh, the Denmark Place fire, originally that idea was going to be that I was going to stand on the street, which is why on the stories I go today, I'm standing on da 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 episode one i was i i stood on denmark street and I, I was like today i'm on denmark street and because my dyslexia can be quite bad sometimes because i'm easily distracted uh because you know noises happen in wrong places and and joe if you're in soho like you'll be in the middle of a story and someone will come up to google oh mate you got any spare change oh what's that you're doing oh you're on a podcast can i be on a podcast as well what's a podcast uh and i was just like it, it would be impossible to edit anything like that which is why i do uh all the sounds in post-production afterwards and it also it makes it for a cleaner story anyway but what i'm going to do is try and do just part of it do an intro to that to see how it would have sounded it would sound awful but uh anyway so i'll be doing one of those so that'll be like a, a walkthrough of soho uh it'll be easy to produce i can do it in about a day that means it gives me six days back blackbird is out there today that blackbird has been really noisy this morning uh that gives me about six days back which is good it gets me on track and if people like it it's something that i can start doing every so often so it'll it'll just be it'll, and also it's for me it's kind of like i don't want you to get bored i think that's the problem is sometimes some of my favorite podcasts it's the same every week and because murder mile does have a formula i don't want you to kind of go oh it's the same story again oh i've heard this kind of thing I, you know if we have some um some murder mile episodes some singles and then you've got your multi-parters and then we've got extra miles uh standalone episodes and then you've got mini mile and then we've got these new walkthroughs i don't know what i might just call it the walkthrough um so or maybe it'd be something else something something related to not extra mile not mini mile maybe it is a i don't know something mile related no maybe i'll just call it the walk a walkthrough get away from that yeah yeah anyway anyway i'm talking to myself now that's really weird uh oh cup of tea lovely bit of pg so uh also oh so i've got loads of things to add i uh i'm doing a new blog every week uh hopefully i'm going to try and do it weekly what i'm going to what i'm doing is i'm doing q and a's so question and answer session q and a's question and answer sessions with true crime podcasters who are out there it's kind of a chance for uh true crime podcasters to, to promote themselves but i've written a range of questions that i think are quite interesting and it gives them a chance to kind of answer those questions and for you to get a chance to kind of have a look at it and go oh i might give that a go it sounds interesting so um that's going onto my blog as well. 
if you've not checked out my blog, please do it. It's on murder, murdermartools.com forward slash blogs. There's a link in the show notes. Um, the, every week I put up a video of the locations. You can see how the video looks. Uh, there's a map that I'm currently sorting out, but it shows you where it is in relation to everything else. Uh, and uh, because I take a lot of the photos myself, there's some photos on there that are uh, show the location and other things. Uh, sometimes it's it's like the original crime scene photos, things like that. Uh, they're posted on there. Um, you get them on Patreon. I give them to all my Patreon subscribers early because you know they're helping. Their their money helps keep Murder Mile alive, which is great. So they get everything early. But as the episode goes out, if you go onto my blog. There'll be some of the photos on there, not all of them, uh, because I can only put up the ones that I've taken myself uh, or are uh, license free. Otherwise, I get I get su- uh, not sued. Uh, I get fined again. I I was in breach of copyright infringement uh, about three years ago, and uh, even though I had like I had probably probably three or four hundred photos on my, on my website which weren't mine i got them off google just done image search and done you can't do that not allowed to do that if, if you have a website and you have images on there that you don't own the rights to or are license free you have to be really careful i had one photo where i'd, I'd used a tiny piece of one photo and they were like right that, that'll be 60 quid in total four photos uh, i was charged almost 350 pounds uh, just for using them on a blog and I was like but no one's going to see this blog and they're like we don't care it's our photos so you have to be really really careful about what photos you use uh, you can use them on Facebook that's not a problem uh, Instagram Twitter not a problem there's no there's no rules protecting that at the moment you can share what you like but if you have a blog you have to be re- really I honestly I would if you've got any photos on there just go in there and just rip them all out uh, otherwise you are in shit uh right hope that was helpful um right okay let's do some details about this story because i've just oh, that was a lot of waffle that was uh don't worry i don't have much to say about this because i pretty much used everything in the story one thing that uh, i took out of the story i briefly mentioned it um they know that the hyde park bomb was triggered by remote uh and that a member of the ira would have been stood in the park probably by one of the trees uh Oh, actually, it would make more sense if he was on the main road because then he could drive away. It probably was by the road. They don't know where he was. They could. They never saw him, but it would make sense that he was on the the Kensington Road. That would make sense. Um, the person who detonated bomb must have known that there was a woman and the baby, a uh, woman and a baby in a pram who were in the field at the time of the blast. Now, even though they'd said uh, the IRA had said that they were going to do uh, military targets only. There were people there, and there was a woman with a pram. Uh, they both survived. The woman was struck in the leg uh, by an unknown object. It could have been shrapnel from the car, or it could have been one of the projectiles. Uh, she passed out. Luckily, the baby was unhurt. Unhurt. I just said unhurt. That's nothing, whatever that word is. Uh, there were th- some quotes by friends and family um, saying that Michael was very controlling. His final act, his final control over Erica uh, was the children, but you never expect this. He is meant to have loved the kids. Uh, other neighbours said he uh, he only just recently moved out. They were going to divorce. Uh, friends added that the couple had split up because Mr. Peterson had been impossible to live with. Uh, they'd been married for over 10 years. 
but he had recently been living separately in Chertsey. Chertsey. Uh, I always thought Chertsey was fictional. I don't know why. It's because I remember hearing it in the young ones years ago, and I always thought Chertsey and uh, Surbiton were fictional places. I thought they were invented for sitcoms because it sounds funny and it sounds fictional, but <laughs> Surbiton and Chertsey are real places. Sorry to anyone who lives in Surbiton and Chertsey. Uh, one of uh, Michael's business pals uh, claimed that the father of four, he had two children with his first wife and two with his second wife, uh, that he had said, she'll pay for this. Uh, that was just 72 hours before the killings happened. Uh, now, I didn't put that in the story because that can't be corroborated. That's one of those kind of phrases that people often say after someone has been murdered by someone else. Do you know, the press come to them and they go, oh, yeah, oh, he, uh, he, he said, oh, she'll pay for this. But, you know, did it really happen? Did it not happen? We don't know. So um, when the police arrived, they cordoned off the area while uh, scenes of crimes officers inspected the crime scene. Uh, Detective Superintendent Tony Harris of Hampshire Police said... Uh, we are currently investigating the circumstances surrounding this terrible incident and are working to establish uh, what has led to these tragic deaths. Um, they'd only been there a short while, but already they were saying, we are treating this as an isolated incident and we do not believe anyone else was involved. So they could see exactly what had happened, that it was, you know, Michael had murdered Ben and Freya and then had stabbed himself with a knife. Uh... Uh, families of Ben Freya, uh, families of Michael Ben and Freya have been informed, and specialist family liaison officers from the Hampshire Constabulary and officers from the Surrey Police, because it was on the border, um, are working. With, uh, it was on the border, but obviously the families. Uh, Michael went to see his grandfather in Hampshire, but they lived in Surrey. Uh, that's why there's two constabularies working at the same time. Uh, uh, are working with them to provide support and keep them up to date as the investigation progresses. Uh, I didn't go into the trial to do with who did who, who did the bombing, uh, who did the bombing, um, uh, the high part bombing, because it just made it really messy, and I really didn't want this to focus on the bombing itself. This was really about post-traumatic stress disorder and uh, Michael Peterson and his family. Uh, and re well really just Ben and Freya but how, how the events led to that so I didn't focus on the bombing at all but just in case you wanted to know in October 1987 27-year-old Gilbert Mac Gilbert McNamee from County Armour oh god my, my jaw just cracked from County Armour uh, was sentenced at the Old Bailey to 25 years in prison for his role in the Hyde Park bombings and others they say that means Regent's Park and that would be Chelsea as well uh, in December 1998, shortly after his release from May's prison under the under the Good Friday Agreement, three Court of Appeal judges quashed his conviction, deeming it unsafe because of withheld fingerprint evidence that implicated other bomb makers. They stated that through the con they stated that though the conviction was unsafe, it did not mean McNamee was necessarily innocent of the charge. On the 19th of May 2013, 61-year-old John Anthony Downey of County Donegal was charged with murder in relation to the Hyde Park bomb and intended to cause an explosion likely to endanger, likely to, to endanger life. He appeared by video link from Belmarsh Prison for a bail hearing at the Old Bailey on the 24th of May and did not apply for bail, so was remanded in custody. At a hearing on the 1st of August 2013, 2013, 
I've got to get that right. Uh, Downey was granted conditional bail and the trial has been scheduled for January 2014. Uh, uh, 2014, he entered a not guilty plea on four murder charges and the charge of in, intending to cause an explosion. On the 25th of January, same year, um, uh, the trial collapsed as the judge uh, the judge had ruled uh, on the 1st of uh, February uh, upon a letter sent to the police service of the of Northern Ireland uh, to Downey in 2007 assuring him that he would not face criminal charges over the over the attack uh, although the assurance was made in error the police made uh, police realized the mistake it was never withdrawn and the judge ruled that therefore the defendant had been mis misled and prosecuting him would be an abuse of executive power downey was one of 187 ira suspects who received secret on the run letters guaranteeing them official unofficial immunity from prosecution Whew, sorry, that was a, a bit of a mouthful there. Uh, so yeah, so so far no one has been charged for the Hyde Park and the um, the Regent's Park bombings, even though evidence shows that uh, Gilbert Danny McNamee, uh, his fingerprints were on the bomb, and uh, who's his other toss pot? John Anthony Towney. Uh, so yeah. So we'll probably never know. We'll probably never know who did it, but I think we can guess. So that was that. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, that was episode 64. That's all good. Um, I'm going to end it there. I'm going to have my cup of tea. I'm going to start editing this. I want to get this done by tomorrow, hopefully. Uh, and then I can plow on with the next episode. So that was episode 64. Hope you enjoyed that. I'm having a stretch. I'm having a cup of tea and I'm going to have a shortbread. Have yourself a good day. Be good. Bye-bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.